All right, dudes, happy Saturday. This is a true Saturday morning coffee this week. Um, I am literally drinking creatine-laced coffee this morning as I make this podcast. Um, this is, a, as usual, this is kind of a combination of notes um, of things that I've been reading and talking about um, and, and particularly studying in scripture this week. Um, and I will fully admit to you, I did not have the time or energy to really put it together in a great cohesive podcast here. Uh, but we're talking about some big concepts today, um, some big things that we need to understand as men that will help us grow further up and further into God's grace, grace and mercy. Um, and so bear with me. Let's, let's talk through some things. Hopefully this podcast makes you think. Um, I'm not pretending it's polished, um, but you don't need polished, right? You need men who are, we need men who are going to challenge each other. And, and I pray that this challenges you the way it's been challenging me. And I pray I can present these ideas to you clearly so that you can ponder them and kind of work through them as well. That being said, make sure you're following us on social media. All that information is at the end of the show. If you feel the desire to support us financially that would be a tremendous blessing the lord does provide um, but sometimes he provides through people Um, so any of that information is at the end of the show as well and finally gentlemen as we get closer to the men of his word conference at the end of october if you want to be with us in rochester for that conference uh, make sure that you're signing up and and if you are going to be there make sure that you um, make sure that you stop by shake my hand say hi take a picture whatever it might be Um, we can Get more men to start chasing after biblical, genuine, scriptural manhood, uh, manhood the way that God created us. So that's a word from our sponsor here. We're going to jump into the show. Blessings today. Hopefully this challenges you, makes you a little uncomfortable, and helps you understand the nature of God on a Saturday morning. Here we go. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of Ken and father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, gentlemen, we're going to launch into some deep thoughts today for Saturday Morning Coffee. Um, and this is stemming from some realizations that I'm having, but also looking around the world and, and uh, watching other men and other people struggle with concepts, especially concepts related to Christ, um, concepts related to their Heavenly Father. It becomes really clear to me um, that we do not understand the Heavenly Father as He would have us understand Him. And we, that's kind of a theme in the last couple of weeks podcast because it's something I'm struggling with too. Um, not struggling as in like I don't believe or something like that, but struggling with the idea that God is something far greater than I could ever imagine. And I love the concept that uh, C.S. Lewis presents where he says, if we knew God as he is and not as we imagine him to be, think of how immeasurably more our God could do and think of how much uh, immeasurably greater our relationship would be, um, how much immeasurably more grace I would, uh, not grace, trust I would have in him, um, and how my life would change, realizing that reality is my life is very simple. 
My life is very simple. I have a very simple purpose. And the complexities and nuances of my purpose certainly are expressed at times and certainly can be a challenge. But the the reality of the situation is that I have a very simple purpose, a very simple calling, and that's simply to follow my Lord Jesus and, and act upon his wills and desires for my life. Now, since I am a simple human being, my entire core, right, my identity as a child of God has been, oh, what's the word? Defiled. That's not the word I was looking for. Tainted, uh, if you will. But the uh, I, I no longer have that image of God that I desire. And so, um, as Scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And I can't just follow my heart anymore. Even when I do have a heart for God, even when I do love my Heavenly Father, I can't just follow my heart anymore. And that's where the law comes in. The law shows me not only that I am sinful, the law shows me not only that I do commit sins and that I am not perfect and need a Savior, um, but it also shows me how to follow my Heavenly Father. Um, we will come to a point as Christians where we know and understand that the grace of the Heavenly Father has washed away all of my sins, that I no longer stand condemned in the sight of my Heavenly Father. And since I no longer stand condemned, I realistically have no guilt. I have no guilt. And the release from that guilt can easily lead us into sin as well, where we say, now I can do whatever I want because I have been forgiven. And that's where Luther comes in and says, no, no, that's not how it works, guys. That's not how it works. Now that I've been redeemed, I press further and further into God's grace and mercy and love. I follow his law even closer than I did before because I don't want to lose hold. I do not want to lose sight of this gift that the Lord has given me. So that's where I want to start (laughs) as we talk about um, masculinity today and manhood. Just recognizing that in the beginning, things were so simple. In the beginning, um, in, in eternity and perfection, in the Garden of Eden, things were so incredibly simple. There is one rule, right? There's one rule. Don't eat from a tree. And the reason that rule was there is so that they had some sort of choice that they could make to follow the Heavenly Father. If, if there's no opportunity to sin, there's no merit in not sinning. So if the Lord had not provided an opportunity for his children to turn away, if he hadn't given them free will and opportunity to sin, then there would have been no merit, there would have been no glory, there would have been no praise in not sinning. And so God provided Adam and Eve an opportunity to glorify him, knowing full well that they would turn away, and they did. And now things are not as simple as they used to be. Um, Well, they don't seem as simple as they used to be. Actually, I would make the argument that they are as simple as they used to be. Um, But now the process is not as simple as it used to be. When the Lord talks to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, he says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Things did get a lot more complicated because now I can't just trust my heart. I can't just... um, I'm not just doing the right thing all the time just by doing what I'm doing. Adam and Eve, before they fell, didn't have to think about these things, right? They didn't have to worry about their relationship with their uh, loved ones. They didn't need to think about whether or not something was glorifying God. They didn't need to think. They didn't know wickedness. They didn't know evil or shame. They only had one rule, and they'd never broken it, so they don't know what it's like. And so when sin enters the world... And when Cain begins to sin as well, this is the warning God gives him. 
If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain doesn't do, listen, though. Cain subverts God's will, and he kills Abel, trying to solve the problem by himself. Instead of leaning into God, he takes it in his own hands, right? He leans on his own wisdom. Um, he drove a wedge between himself and God and between his descendants and God. And if you follow that line of, uh, of Cain in Scripture, one of his grandsons or great-grandsons, Lamech, bragged about the fact that he had killed far more men than Cain had ever killed and laughed in the face of God saying, I am my own master. I can take life. Um, I am greater. That's crazy, right? Cain had, was cast out for killing one man, and now his grandsons are killing many men and bragging about it, and they, they, they glory and revel in it. It's easy to see how quickly we go from the Heavenly Father and how quickly we go from serving our God to being absolutely, completely, and totally wicked. And the reason for that is that it's real hard to trust that somebody else is taking care of my guilt and shame, right? It's real hard for me as a man who was created by God to serve God and created by God to solve my own problems. That's true. That is the reality. It's hard for me to accept not only that I cannot solve my own problems, that this is a problem I cannot solve, and B, it's really hard for me to accept that someone else is doing the work for me. It's real hard for us to accept as men. That's really hard for me to accept as a man. That's written into our DNA as human beings because in perfection, before sin happened, there was only solutions, right? Adam was tasked with subduing the earth and running it and ruling it. And so you and I like to be in control just like Adam was. You and I like to be leaders. You and I like to be conquerors. That's what God created us to be. But now we cannot be that perfect conqueror. All of our desires, our hearts even themselves, are tainted, ruined, and deceitful. And we do not do the good we want to do. We try and take the law into our own hands. We try and take this uh, process into our own hands, this redemptive process. And we try on our own, without the help of our Heavenly Father, to find meaning, to find purpose, and in meaning and purpose, to find our own redemption. Okay. By choosing to depend on ourselves instead of God, we turn from him and we relinquish his blessing. And I think the, the uh, number one way we see that in the world these days is rationality. Um, and whether you're talking about evolution, whether you're talking about psychology, um, whether you're talking about um, the gender arguments, um, rationality is often very, very close to insanity. Um, that's just reality. Rationality is very close to, to insanity because the rationalist tries to take everything out in the world that they don't understand. It tries to t shrink down that whole universe, right, that's out there, and they try and fit the universe inside his, his own head, and this is impossible. And that's why I say, and that's why Spurgeon, no, G.K. Chesterton, yeah, there we go. That's why G.K. Chesterton talks about the idea that rationality is actually very close to insanity. Because the rationalist is trying to shrink down the universe and fit it inside his own head. But the, the true Christian doesn't do that. The true Christian floats in a boundless and limitless and unending and eternal sea of mystery beyond his own comprehension, recognizing that creation is every bit as transcendent and um, ununderstandable as its creator. 
like creation was created in the image of its creator. And if our God is far beyond our comprehension or understanding, so is then creation because it reflects the nature of our heavenly, <clears throat> excuse me, of our heavenly father. And there's some great examples of that. Um, the idea of an absolute morality. There is, no matter what anybody tells you, an absolute morality in our world, in the world that we live in. Murder is murder is murder, no matter where you are. Even among cannibals, even among murderers, there is, there's, it's, it's considered wrong, right? It's considered the wrong thing to do. And you can make the, the case, you know, like, well, what about violent gangs? They're murdering people all the time. So yes, that might be true, but what immediately follows? So if one, if a member of my gang gets murdered, what's the first thing we do? We go out and we kill one of their guys, right? There's retaliation. Why? Because it's wrong. Because it's the wrong thing to do. We know there's not going to be justice. We take justice into our own hands and we enact it. That's where gangs, like historically, that's where you know mobsters and gangsters find their origins is in the idea that these minority groups are not going to find justice from you know the government or justice from whatever was put in place. So they took justice into their own hands. That's what those organizations are by nature. And so an absolute morality can only be established by an authority to whom all men are accountable, a.k.a. a creator. Let me say that again. An absolute morality can only be established by an a creator, right, an absolute authority to whom all men are accountable. If I don't have to answer to anybody, if we don't all have to answer to the same heavenly force one day, then there would, then there can't be an absolute morality, right? There can't, like theft is wrong no matter where you go. You can't steal no matter where you go. No matter where you go in the world, stealing is wrong. And even among thieves, like thieves don't steal from each other. And if they do, it's a big deal, right? Everybody knows that theft is wrong. Nobody finds theft acceptable. And even many thieves dream of a day where they no longer have to steal. And so we have to face the reality that every man is accountable for the same things. And then that begs the question, who is he accountable to? Well, the creator. Um, there's another example here. Uh, universal order, right? So universal order, the idea that everything in creation is working in order with each other, right? There's, a, there's an established order. Um, there's an order of things. There's a natural way. There's a natural course. Um, there's only three ways that living beings can, can reproduce, right? Um, you look in, in nature and you see mathematical equations everywhere for the changing of the seasons, um, for determining genes, for determining, well, like genes and DNA, that's all math, right? Um, we talk about weather. How do you think they predict the weather? They measure things and patterns. There's a natural order of things in the universe. Now, if all of this was an accident, if it's just like uh, the right materials were stuck together, which begs the question, where did the materials come from? But um, if it's just a bunch of materials that happen to get together at the right time and or organize themselves um, into something living, then why is it that no, throughout creation everywhere, there's the same natural order of things? It's because a creator naturally ordered it, right? We can't find the end of our solar or our galaxies and in, in our, in our universe. But no matter how far we reach out, we find the same order, the same things. So do we really imagine that the same, you know, whatever soup created all those things and, and created what we are? No. Reality says 
Reality says that there must be a creator. Rationality tries to take these big concepts and big things that are beyond our understanding, beyond our human comprehension, and tries to shove them into my head. Right? Um, a man who seeks to understand and grasp all these things by shrinking them down, right? he's struggling for control. He realizes that I have no control over my own life. I have no control over what happens to me. Um, I can't even control whether I'm born or not. I can't control when I die. I can't even control what happens to my body while I live. I'm struggling for control. And to reject the Creator the way that they do is to reject sin, and to reject sin is to reject the notion that all things are not as they ought to be. And no sane man can truly deny that all things are not good and right. right? I think the most rationalist people are some of the people who yell the loudest when things aren't fair. Right? When things aren't fair and normal and good and proper, we freak out. And rightfully so, because that's not the way they should be. That's not how the way, the way they were created to be. They should be good and right. And when we realize that everything is not the way it should be, then we acknowledge sin. If we realize and acknowledge that things are decaying and not improving, that's when we acknowledge a creator. Change and decay and all around I see, right, from abide with me, change and decay and all around I see, you know, oh, thou who changest not abide with me. There has to be something unchanging. There has to be a baseline in order for there to be anything, particularly sin. And if you recognize something is bad, then there must be something good. And those two are recognizable by everyone everywhere. There must therefore be a creator and an organizer of all things. And here's what I'm getting at here. Anyone who's suffered a broken heart or sprained ankle knows that things aren't as they should be. Um, and no parent has ever, you know, no parent ought to ever bury a child, but things are not as they should be, and it happens. Right? No man should ever assault a woman, but things are not as they should be, and terrible things happen. Right? No nation should ever have to go to war with each other, but things are not as they should be, and terrible things happen. There's absolutely no denying that things are decaying. There's absolutely no de denying that things are getting worse, and they're not getting better. And even after the voice is shouting the loudest, um, you know, try and rationalize it, they don't get any closer to a solution. They don't get any closer to a problem-solving you know, mechanism. They just recognize that it's wrong. And so we realize that we are moving closer and closer and closer to something we don't want. The one who denies the Almighty Creator, a benevolent Father, sees the things um, going wrong in the world and cannot, cannot comprehend them. And in an attempt to tame the savage, right, to shrink down the infinite, to create a world where I feel safe, um, I take the incomprehensible and I try and shrink it down. Um, but the more I do that, the more I realize and discover that there's no avoiding the very real and very tangible hell that we're all hurtling towards. However, a man who recognizes an almighty and omnipotent and benevolent creator who seeks to restore um, disordered and corrupted creation seeks not to shrink or limit an infinite creation. We don't try and shrink God. In fact, we do the opposite. We joyfully wade into the depths of his glory and mercy, right? We go further up and further into the love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and truth of our Heavenly Father that he lavishes on us every day. It's easy to fall into the trap 
of pigeonholing an infinite creator and um, an incomprehensible father that we can't understand, right? But to do this, to limit God, is to fail to trust the only force, the only source of goodness and mercy. So we need to trust him and we need to lean into him and we need to discover him as he is and we need to stop trying to define him because when you define something, you also limit it. If you define something, you know what it is, but you also know what it isn't. And that's the warning I want to offer. I know this podcast is getting a little long, but that's the warning I want to offer is when we start talking about manhood, we like to make you know, statements. A man is. You're not a man until you. And so I want to get away from those statements. And I think there's a clear connection here. When we, when we make those statements, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to we're trying to pigeonhole it, right? We're trying to make it definable so it's something we can understand. And there's some good in that. If we're trying to understand what it means to be a man, it means we're being um, cognizant of it, right? We're thinking about it and we, we're not trying to, you know, it's a good thing to think about. But when we say, you know, a man is rough, you know, a man deadlifts double body weight. That's one of mine. You know, a man plays football. And when we start saying these things, we just confuse um, boys who are legitimately trying to be men. Say, boys don't cry. We're legitimately confusing um, boys that are trying to be men. We say, boys play football, they don't dance. We're legitimately confusing boys that are trying to be men. Now, don't get me wrong and don't misinterpret what I'm saying. There's a whole giant movement out there that says there's no difference between boys and girls, and there absolutely is. I'm not getting into that debate. I'm pushing an agenda that says we should look at the outcomes more than we look at the actions. We need to look at the outcomes of our expressions of manhood, if you will, and not necessarily at the expression, if that makes sense. So, You'll hear the conversation, you know, boys don't cry, or it's okay for boys to cry. Well, there's, the reality is there's a happy medium, right? There's a time that's appropriate to cry, there's a time that's not appropriate to cry. Go ahead and cry at your daughter's wedding. Go ahead and cry at a funeral. Go ahead and cry when, you're, when your team wins a state championship. But you don't need to cry every time you scrape your knee. It's not an appropriate time to cry. So, what we're looking for then is physical toughness. Now, physical toughness is going to look different for every kid, and physical toughness is going to look different for every man. I love to lift weights, and my physical toughness is often expressed in lifting big, heavy weights and pushing myself farther than you know most other men will. I hate running, though. And if you try and make me run a marathon, I'm not going to look very tough. It's not going to be an expression of toughness. It's going to be an expression of weakness because I hate running, and I don't do it, and I haven't prepared. But I got a roommate who loves to run. Well, I used to. <laughs> He loved to run. He loves to run. And so does his wife. And they run and they run and they run and they run and they run. And it's an expression of toughness. They show just how mentally tough they are by the distances they cover, by the incredible things that they're able to accomplish together. That's showing some real toughness. And that's making him a better man. And I might tease him every once in a while, say a man can deadlift double body weight and he can't even get close and he probably never will. But that doesn't mean he's less of a man. He could easily look at me and say, hey, a man runs a five-minute mile. And in his world, in his training, that's the truth. And in my world and in my training, the double body weight is the truth. We can't just define it in earthly terms. We need to look at outcomes and things that come out of it. So you can say a boy should be physically strong. I agree with you. A boy should be physically strong. 
Now, A, that does not mean that women should not be physically strong. Go ahead and be as strong as you want to be. I don't care. Go ahead and be strong if you want. Um, but if you say a boy should be physically strong, you also need to acknowledge that some boys are stronger than others. And some boys are, expressed with, are blessed with different gifts than others. So one boy might be incredibly physically strong because he chose to do ballet his entire life and he's an incredible artist. Another boy might be an athlete. Another boy might not even be an athlete. He just likes to lift weights. So we need to look at those expressions. We need to stop pigeonholing and trying to understand, trying to rationalize what it means to be a man. Because when we rationalize, this is where I'm coming full circle here. When we rationalize what it means to be a man, we end up um, limiting the power of a creator who created us in his own image. And we have been created as men far beyond our own comprehension. We will never understand what we were meant to be or what Adam was in um, Eden. There's a reason why a new book about manhood comes out every five years and everybody's like, oh, this is the best ever. And then they read the old book and they're like, well, that was the best. And who's right? Well, they're both right because God has created us infinitely greater and infinitely more complex than we ever knew or realized. And it was actually a very simple world that was destroyed by sin. And now we're trying to reclaim that. And we're trying to get back to that expression of masculinity and manhood that we would have had in the garden. So maybe I tackled too big of a concept this week. I don't know. Hopefully you were able to follow my logic here. Um, But my encouragement, again, like I said, is to um, look at masculinity as it is. Um, Look at the outcomes of expression. Don't don't look at the, the actual expression itself. Um, a, a, a young man crippled at birth who learns to walk and fights that battle and runs a 5k is a heck of a lot stronger than a boy who's born (laughs) to a powerlifting father who has incredible genes and never actually works hard, um, to get anywhere. So we need to look at the expression of manhood. We need to look at the outcomes, right? The character traits, um, of masculinity instead of looking at the actual physical expression of it. So then we'll stop having debates about whether, you know, um, so a young man realizes that he's tender and loving and caring and loves to express himself in art and he loves to express himself in music and uh, he like he actually finds more companionship oftentimes with girls than he does with boys. Instead of saying, you're acting like a girl, like more like a man, the conversation we should have is, wow, you are a freaking unicorn. Like you are a one in a million type kid who is absolutely loving and tender and kind. And now we should encourage development of those skills alongside masculine characteristics and traits and create this uber wonderful, godly human being who can love like none of the rest of us can. Right? He has a part of God's heart, a part of God's identity that most of us as men have lost over generations and generations and generations of sin. What an incredible blessing. Let's pour into that and lean into that um, and not confuse, not confuse them um, because they don't look like the traditional manly man. So I think we're going to talk about this more because I don't feel like I've done it justice. So we're going to keep revisiting this. Um, we got some awesome interviews coming up here talking about gender as well. Um, may God bless your week. I hope that this was a blessing to you um, and walk with God today. And as you walk with God, you will um, learn to be a man as well. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. 
If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.